Hello and welcome to the Kinetic Fitness Show, where we inspire you to live a longer, healthier, happy, and more joyful life. We cover everything you need to know to be optimally healthy in your mind, body, and spirit. Are you ready to become the ultimate version of yourself? Well, let's dive into another episode with your host and guide by your side, Allie West. Hello, welcome to the show, episode number 57 of the Kinetic Fitness Show podcast. Super grateful to have you on board listening in. If this is your first time and you've just randomly clicked on this podcast or you've heard about me from one of your friends, family, colleagues, then I welcome you to the show. I know you're going to enjoy it, so thanks so much for listening in. And if you're a returning listener or a regular listener, I'm always grateful to have you on board. Thank you so much. I know I have listeners all over the world, so wherever you are right now, listening to this, whatever you're doing, I'm grateful. Thanks so much for being here with me. I have a great guest lined up for you today. And my guest today has a very, very interesting and insightful backstory, as many of my guests do, very powerful story as well. We're gonna talk about a lot of different topics in this episode. Some of them you may not have even considered before, you may not even know about. So this is gonna be a really powerful episode. I enjoyed recording this episode with uh, Dr. Kate and yeah, I'm just gonna be happy to share it with you and I hope you enjoy it, I know you will. So a little bit about my guest. My guest today is Dr. Kate Zeus and Dr. Kate is a functional and preventative health expert. She works with her patients to optimize their health and feel their absolute best. She has an extensive background in both allopathic and natural health and has completed over a thousand hours of training in functional medicine, nutrition, immunology, and epigenetics. Dr. Kate's primary focus centers on supporting hormonal imbalance, anti-aging medicine, autoimmune disease, vitamin and mineral imbalances, thyroid health, fertility, and detoxification, as well as pre and post operative surgery wellness. So, super qualified guest that I have on today with many, many strings to a bow. So we're going to dive into this podcast. Just before we get started, I'll just point out a few of the things that we're going to discuss on this episode. We talk about different areas of health and well-being from the mind, body, spirit aspect. We talk about the dangers of breast implants and how important it is for not just females, but males to know about the dangers surrounding breast implants we also talk about nutrition and we go into a little bit of spirituality as well there's many different topics that we talk about so you're going to enjoy this let's just not waste any more time let's get stuck in let's introduce dr kate share this episode with you she's going to tell you a lot more about her amazing incredible story and enjoy the show let's do this episode number 57 with dr kate seuss Hi, Dr. Kate. How are you today? Thanks for joining me on the Kinetic Fitness Show podcast. Hi, Ali. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's no problem. I'm glad to uh, have you on the show. And we had a little issue we had to rearrange. And I know there's a time difference. So I appreciate you uh, reorganizing and also making it work with the the time difference. You're not my first uh, guest from California. And I know how tricky it can be sometimes with with the time difference. So I appreciate it. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's exciting to be um, on a podcast from another country. It's the first time I've done this. So. Oh, cool. That's great. Awesome. Well, um, before we really go into any depth with the questions that I'd like to ask and, and we pick into your, your knowledge and expertise, could you just tell myself and the guys listening in a little bit more about you, about Dr. Kate, who you are, what you do, et cetera? So my name is Dr. Kate Seuss. I am a chiropractor in the United States. I became a chiropractor because in my personal health journey, I had a tremendous amount of body pain and muscle pain. And before I really understood the way the body worked, my, in my naive understanding, I thought I had a musculoskeletal problem. And I was having trouble finding anyone who could tell me what was wrong with me and why I was having pain. I was maybe 28 years old at that time. Um, a lot of doctors said that there was nothing wrong with me. Um, some people thought I had Lyme disease, even though there was no way to prove that. Um, I had a lot of the symptoms of Lyme disease, but... Um, anyways, I, I thought, all right, I'm going to go to chiropractic school and become a doctor of chiropractic to figure out what's wrong with my musculoskeletal system. Um, pre, before, before that, uh, starting when I was about 15, I was, was a wrestler, and I wrestled in high school and college for nine years. Um, most of high school, I was the only girl on an all-boys wrestling team, which, you know, I think is less common now, but at the time, it, you know, it was... It was not a common thing. Um, and I really learned what pain felt like in my body. Um, so I knew when I started having this new type of pain that it was, that it was something else, right? Um, I like to make that distinction because <laughs> I think that sometimes people like to assume that women don't, you know, some women don't understand um, what it feels like to really push yourself, but I like to make that distinction. So after going to chiropractic school, I realized almost immediately that those musculoskeletal interventions didn't help me at all. Um, so I started thinking, okay, what else could it be? I started studying functional medicine on my spare time, trying to find the metabolic causes of pain. And I started developing other symptoms. Um, I started figuring out names for some of the things I was experiencing, but none of them got to the root of what was really going on. And then in my, in my third year, I learned about breast implant illness and about how silent ruptures in breast implants can ca cause fibromyalgia symptoms and that there's a big association between women who have silent ruptures in silicone uh, being diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And for people who don't know what fibromyalgia is, it's, you know, it's basically this, it's mystery body pain. <laughs> it's usually when they don't know what the pain is, they just call it that and give you a drug. So... Uh, I think that's a good place to kind of stop, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know all about I know all about fibromyalgia because I have currently two of my private personal training clients that they suffer with it. So I'm I'm well aware of it, and I'm well aware of the symptoms and how completely random, I guess, the best word it, it, you can describe it, it can be. So yeah, that's uh, that's interesting um, for sure. Yeah, so I know obviously there's a lot more detail and a lot more to, to, to this story and this health story and it's, it's pretty epic, emotional and um, there's lots happened and lots of interesting misdiagnosis that you've had. Can you just 
yes. touch on that a little bit more, Kate, and um, go into some of the, <laughs> the diagnosis that you've had, or you had, sorry, before you kind of got around to finding the, the root cause and, and correcting that root cause issue. So the kind of cool thing about what was happening to my body was that it was sort of falling apart um, in every possible way. Um, I was experiencing all kinds of different symptoms, especially when I started to pile on the stress of doing our medical program, um, which, you know, um, ch chiropractors go to medical school. It's, it's, this, it's basically the same training as medical doctors. We just don't take as much pharmacology as, as medical doctors. And we, you know, we, we study the musculoskeletal and the nervous system more actually. So, um, a very rigorous program. It was very stressful. We had, a, you know, a lot of pressure exams and my body started to, I, you know, I was having swelling. I was having oxygen delivery issues. My, my fingers and toenails were always blue. Um, my looks completely deteriorated. My skin was lackluster and sagging. I was having um, neurological symptoms, something called lehermitzine, which is when you, you bend your head into forward flexion and then you get this tingling sensation down your legs. Um, I was having a tremor, which I just recently got rid of. Um, you know, uh, we weren't really sure why I was having a tremor. I was diagnosed as pre-diabetic, which didn't really make any sense because even though all of the stuff was going on, I still looked pretty healthy. I was still working out, you know, um, from a physiological perspective, people thought I looked normal. Um, of course, I, I had met a lot of new people during that time who didn't know me before I had breast implants where I feel like I looked a lot better and I felt like I aged a lot throughout that process. But when you're, you know, 30 years old and you're telling people that you feel like you're aging rapidly, especially as a woman, they tend to laugh and think that's a joke. Um, but to me, I felt, I felt it was real. And, uh, and yeah, so different things happened. I had stomach ulcers. I had, um, uh, you know, I figured out that I had osteoarthritis, which everyone has, but I had pretty severe osteoarthritis, probably from wrestling. Um, so, so some of my chiropractors thought that my pain was being caused by by osteoarthritis. Um, although a lot of you, you know, a lot of people that have it, they have no symptoms at all. So, I was trying to get on board with some of those things. I was trying to learn about fascia manipulation and changing my postural. So, I did, I did so many things to improve myself. Um, and it's funny because talking to the women who have experienced breast implant illness, a lot of them are the healthiest unhealthy women that we know because they're all doing so many things to try and be healthy. And it's like this constant swimming upstream. Um, and I think also sometimes women who are already in the fitness space might want to get breast implants because it helps their look and their physique, and maybe they've trained away a lot of their natural fat. So, so there's that population of women as well. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not sure if I answered your question, but yeah, in my case, we were studying all of these different diseases in school, you know, in, in pathology and physiology, and almost every disease that we studied, I, I had some, some. Um, traits from that disease so everything we learned about I was like is this it is this what's wrong with me and it really helped me kind of act activate my amygdala you know the, the part of the brain where you have fear and emotion and memory so I kind of I have these emotional memories of all these different diseases so it makes it easier for me working with patients now I think to 
to step into their shoes. Um, I had a neurologist tell me with certainty that he thought I had MS, um, you know, because I was having all these neurological things happen. Um, but yeah, when we did a brain MRI, it came back negative and, you know, it, yeah. So, so. <laughs> yeah. So it got to this, it got to this point of where you realized that it was obviously the, the breast implant illness and you decided to get this treated how did how did that come about and and what was the process for correcting things to to get yourself like really on the on the right health track and obviously he was doing all of these things and it wasn't working or you was getting one doctor saying one thing another mm -hmm. saying another what what was the the, the the real turning point and when did things start to switch and things right, right. start to get better for you so we learned a lot. We talked a lot in functional medicine seminars about immunology topics because immunology is is a great a great place to start looking when you're having when you're trying to like functionally optimize somebody because we're looking at the way people's bodies respond to food, the way leaky gut can turn on autoimmune disease, right? All of these immunological concepts, like how the immune system is responding to its environment, right? Um, so I was already aware that silicone has the ability to be immune reactive. And that's something that we've known since like the 90s when the original lawsuits against silicone came about. And when the FDA uh, here uh, has their list of complications that they publish for each device. Um, and they talk about anti-nuclear antibodies or ANA um, as a complication within the first three years for I think one in 300 women was the figure. So we already know that and anti-nuclear antibodies are a marker for a few different connective tissue autoimmune diseases like lupus, um, for example. So we know that for some people who are genetically predisposed for autoimmune disease, that when they get silicon put in their body, it can turn on that process. Now, um, in my case, I thought about that and I I did a lot of tests to try to see if I had any autoimmunity going on and it was always negative. So. I had thought about my implants, you know, at different times in this journey, but it just never fit for me. Then I found out about the Fibromyalgia Association and this light bulb went off and I started researching breast implants, which I had never done before. And that was when I came across, it's, and it's funny because, we, you know, a lot of women have them in their body and I never saw an ingredients list, right? I never even thought about that. And it's funny because this is sort of unrelated, but yesterday we were, we had this thread about wine. Um, on Instagram, and a, a lot of health practitioners were commenting about how wine also has no ingredients list, that we just accept wine, and people were commenting about all the bad things that you can find in wine, but um, <laughs> that's another topic. Um, I never looked at an ingredients list for implants, um, but when I did look at it, I saw that, that silicone breast implants have a lot of heavy metals in them, so they have, you know, mercury and lead and arsenic and platinum and aluminum, and tons of neurotoxic chemicals. And the reason why is because when they were initially on the market, you know, pre-1992, um, they were having a lot of problem with them breaking apart inside of women's bodies. So there was massive lawsuits and pushback, and then they were taken off the market because they were not cohesive enough. They were not staying together. That was the major problem. Um, and when they put them back on the market in 2006, they got those studies done and they showed that they were not breaking apart and that they were like allegedly safe now, but they did that by adding a lot of chemicals. So now we've introduced a whole different set of problems for 
certain people um, with toxicity. Now, if you are an autoimmune patient, you're not immune necessarily from having a toxicity reaction as well. So those things can layer for some people and, and you can become very, very sick. In my case, I didn't have any autoimmune disease, but what I did have was previous exposure to mercury. And that was something I didn't totally put together right away. So after I removed my implants, I would say I felt maybe 50% better. Um, wow. You can, you can go through like this massive detox process just from removing the implant. So we talk about that in our support groups and we talk about, you know, being patient with the process. Some women, it can take them two years or more to fully regain everything and get rid of all of their symptoms after explant because, you know, your body has been storing all of these different chemicals. And in my case, I had some gel bleed, which means the silicone was perspiring its contents. It was very sticky. It wasn't ruptured, but it was, you know, gel bleed is something that that happens too it's um anyways you know your body has stored all of these over years of having them and then when you remove the the major offender like the ground zero <laughs> is what i call it of toxicity then your body can start to feel comfortable to just dump everything else right so sometimes you feel better and then you feel worse and then you feel better and it's like a roller coaster <clears throat> so i saw some immediate change like my upper traps were a 12 out of 10 pain every day. And that, that went away. It was, you know, went back to its usual, like four out of 10 every day. Um, and then, you know, as time went on, I started working in my field. I started meeting doctors. I met a doctor who his whole practice is set up around what he calls amalgam illness. And he told me his story um, about how he had an improper amalgam removal and he became very ill afterwards, like to the point of chronic fatigue syndrome. And he went from being kind of this high performance doctor to just not being able to get out of bed, all from the amalgam removal. Um, so when he told me that, I started thinking, whoa, like, wait a minute. Okay, I had two amalgams break in my mouth the two years before I got breast implants. Um, no, I didn't have his re reaction. I didn't have really any symptoms that I was aware of at that time. But then when I put the breast implants in my body, you know, mercury is kind of like a bucket and it accumulates over time. And then you could just get to a breaking point. Um, plus, you know, the breast implants are completely, you know, we know with mercury, when you have liver issues like hepatitis, for example, you're going to be more affected by mercury. It's going to be harder for your body to eliminate it. Um, so, so in my case, you know, the implants were really clouding up my detox pathways in addition to clouding my epigenetic environment. And then I think that those genes had the ability to turn on and, and then, you know, you're just working with all these different problems. Um, <laughs> do you want, do you want to interject anything? I feel like I'm rambling on. No, no, it's cool. It's, 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 it's I mean, for me, for someone not knowing a great deal about about this side of, of breast implants. It's just like, for me, it's quite fascinating. And uh, I think it's great what you're doing that you're trying to raise awareness for, for this. And I know you're not the only one, but there, there is people out there that are trying to raise the awareness because a lot of this information that you're sharing here, I had no clue. And I mean, I'm in a, in a health environment and uh, uh, I guess a nutrition and medicine, that environment all the time. But I didn't know to, to this extent how it could affect people and the impact it can have so it's just it's just um 
one very very interesting and informative but it's also like it's it's, it's crazy it's it's it's, right. it's amazing the effect it can have so no you just, you just carry on with where you're going with it with, yeah, with it because I mean, it's enjoyable i think that you brought up a really good point when we just accepted this as something that seems normal but then when you really think about it and you think about the idea of putting these devices right next to your heart and your lungs and your vagus nerve like i don't know how much you know about the vagus nerve but it's yeah, right yeah. there coursing right through the chest right and that's the nerve that's controlling basically everything in your thorax so all of your internal organs from a parasympathetic perspective which is arguably what we want the most activated right because we're already so stressed anyway um so it's when women have been making the decision to remove their implants to explant and then they're going through a process of trying to find a doctor who's really skilled at taking out the implant correctly we have to start considering these things like the millimeter of distance between where that scar tissue capsule is adhered to the rib cage potentially and and how close that is to the lung pleura and how someone unskilled could very easily or even skill just because it could be a difficult situation right inside of there could easily cause damage to these vital organs and so for me when i started learning about that i was like oh my god right like how how could i think that that was a good idea mm. how could i think that that was a good idea it's insane right it's insane when you really think about it um so and and i know i've noticed recently some doctors who are further along in their career um who were around when when implants were first removed from the market in the 90s and they they commented when they were put back on the market in 2006 like what are we doing you know these are these are toxic time bombs um and <laughs> it's just funny now they're all popping up like well, I told you guys, I told you, it's just, you know, it wasn't enough. They, there weren't enough voices. So the cool thing is that because there's all these high profile women who might have made their career off of how they look and they might have breast implants and they're very popular, you know, in the media, they're able to really advocate against implants. And we've created this whole movement and it's very hard for, for pharma and for these other governing bodies to ignore these women. Um, which I think was kind of what they were doing initially, but now it's been hard. And so the FDA had a hearing in, earlier in 2019 and they did acknowledge breast implant illness. So that was a big step. Um, and then we also had a recall of another type of implant that has been linked to cancer. But it's funny because the, those studies done that showed the, the uh, breast implant associated large cell lymphoma uh, associated mostly with textured implants um, those studies were done in Finland and I want to say like 2011 and we just now had a recall this year in the United States of that type of implant and wow. that's 100% because of public pressure yeah so, that's crazy yeah. yeah what would be your what would be your your advice and your words of wisdom then to not just not just the females because there'll be there's probably guys that I know where their partners are thinking about uh, getting implants and that kind of thing. So what, what would be your advice, not just to the women that are considering it, but the guys out there whose partners might be considering having this, uh, this surgery done or having implants, what would you say to them? Well, I would say that they should really do their homework. Um, it's, it would be very easy for me to just say, don't do it. But I don't know that that's a convincing argument for someone who's 
who's really set on it, um, I would just say do your homework. There's so much information out there available now. There's a support group that we use on Facebook called Healing Breast Implant Illness by Nicole. Only women can join it, but um, I see stories all the time from women talking about their partners had pressured them to get implants that they didn't really want to. I mean, that's not the only reason why people get it, but that certainly happens, right? I think that's horrible. Don't do that if you're a man. Um, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be responsible for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really like wish... I hadn't got them. I think that you alluded to that in some of our, in our prelim interview questions. Um, for me, this, this path has been really rewarding. It's been a health journey. Um, it forced me to learn everything about the body <laughs> in order to kind of uncover this mystery illness. Um, but, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's cool. Do, do your research and then don't pressure your partner. I'm happy with that. That's good. <laughs> yeah 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 okay let's switch the focus a little bit then and let's talk about this side of, uh, of of being a functional doctor and functional medicine because i love this stuff absolutely love it and i recommend a lot of my clients to to go and see functional doctors and just because it goes that little bit deeper but can you just explain a little bit more about the ins and outs of of being a functional doctor and how functional medicine can help people benefit people and, and the, the, the power it has. So I don't know that much about how healthcare is in your country, but in our country, um, we have sort of like an approach to healthcare in the allopathic world that we jokingly refer to as sick care because you don't really get your, your symptoms addressed unless you have a disease. Um, and a disease means that, you know, based on certain laboratory ranges, like you are in the state of dysfunction. And it's a dysfunction that's enough, it's obvious enough where that doctor can say, you fit the gold standard for this prescription medication. So if you're someone, for example, who has a thyroid disease, um, that has started. So let's say you have Hashimoto's, which is like the most common autoimmune disease that we have today and it's also you know it affects the thyroid it's very common um in order to qualify for for thyroid replacement hormone which is the drug um that is given for that disorder for that disease you have to have you know a very out of range uh tsh and you have to have have um sometimes like they sometimes they don't even check the t3 t4 hormones but you know they, they want to see you in a very dysfunctional range they don't necessarily ever test anyone to see if they even have antibodies, which I see this all the time, like people coming in that are on thyroid medication. I'm going to go off on a tangent. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to stop myself before I go off on a tangent. So the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that these things take many years to develop. So you could be in this preliminary stage for five to 15 years before you show dysfunctional 100% on labs to where you can get a prescription. Mm. And the idea is that disorders really don't happen overnight. So why do we wait until someone has a disease to address it? Why do we say you're normal until you're not normal anymore? It, it doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, um, I, I say this all the time. <laughs> yeah. I say this all the time to people, but go on. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, so what? So, so typically throughout the development of a disease, like you have symptoms, um, you're just not going to get much, much uh, 
help, I guess, with what to do about it. Um, so a functional medicine practitioner is just sort of working within those lab ranges that are not fully disease, and they're trying to provide you with solutions to change the course or possibly predicting the course that you're on if you maintain the same choices that you have at that time. Um, and then I think that getting, you know, everyone talks about the root cause. Of course, when we're talking about people who have diseases, now in the United States as a chiropractor, like, you know, our scope is not really, we're not really supposed to get involved with people who have diseases and say that, that we're working with that disease specifically because the way our, our structure is, that's the job of a medical doctor, right? We have a gold standard for a disease, which means that they're working with drug therapies only, usually. Um, but we can work alongside um, medical doctors or, or, or DOs, um, and we can work with those same patients to try to maybe get to different aspects of their disease, like their lifestyle, their, their nutrition. And in the case of autoimmune disease, that can be amazing because allopathically, they're not addressing the immune system. If you have an autoimmune disease, they're not addressing the root cause. Like in the case of Hashimoto's, they're just giving you thyroid hormone because your immune system has has eaten away enough of your thyroid to where you're not producing enough thyroid hormone, so they just give it to you. Um, that doesn't get at the root cause of stopping the immune system from attacking the thyroid, which can be very impacted by changes in diet, um, in lifestyle, by figuring out which foods are, are triggering immune reactions and so forth. So, Yeah, so following on from that, what, what, what are the key areas that people need to really um, focus on address if they want to get to the root cause of an issue because obviously you've just mentioned a couple there in terms of nutrition and lifestyle but what other key areas do people need to focus on to really dig deep and, and find out what's going on well I think um, from in my observation with a lot of doctors they don't seem to do as thorough of a history and exam as maybe they could. So it's very important to get all the information and even talk about things that you might not think are relevant. Um, and a, I think a good practitioner will really have that sorted on their intake form. So I would be wanting to, to see somebody who you feel like is doing a true investigation of, of everything that's going on. Um, I think that when people are having issues and, and you're not really sure why, um, there's, a, there's a few places that you can look. One would be genetics. One would be, um, you know, ex history of exposure to mercury. I think that that could be a huge factor in driving. And then when you talk about, you know, I know, I know practitioners really like to look for underlying viruses and pathogens, but in my opinion, some of those are driven by mercury. So a lot of practitioners, especially in the world of functional medicine, focus on healing the gut, healing the gut. It's always about the gut. And I don't disagree with that, but I do think that if you're a person who has heavy metal exposures, that could be driving gut dysfunction and you can do all the pathogen cleanses in the gut that you want you're not necessarily going to get rid of them if they're coexisting with heavy metals. Um, so in my health journey, I did a lot of detox things thinking that they were productive. And I think I ended up just moving around a lot of mercury. Um, so I regret some of those interventions, but again, it was a learning process for me. Um, but mercury, for example, is, is very, 
hard to take out of the body. It, it doesn't typically leave unless you pull it out once it gets uh, bound to those organs, um, especially in the brain, the nervous system. So you really need a chelator that has two thiol groups, something like DMSA or alpha lipoic acid, um, and, and those have to be taken within their half-life. So um, when you take things like glutathione directly, which like, I love glutathione and I hate to warn people about something like glutathione because if mercury is not an issue for you and you have an autoimmune disease and you're low in glutathione, it could be really helpful for you. It could really help you with a flare. Um, but, but if you're someone who's taking it on a regular basis, there is a little bit of a concern that you could stunt your own production of it. Um, if you, if you take it and you have mercury toxicity, you could actually move the mercury around. So you could grab mercury, especially if you do it in an IV, you could grab mercury from maybe a muscle area and then it could drop it off somewhere else and it can cause problems like when it goes into other organs or the brain. Um, glutathione has, is, has one, one thiol group. So it, it's able to only partially, it can grab it and then it doesn't grab it tight enough to remove it from the body. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think the big thing with what to point out here to to the listeners is that with any heavy metal toxicity, we can't really get rid of it completely. But what we can do is the best things to minimize it and reduce the amount. Um, so that a lot of that comes from, as you say, food and supplementation. Well, I do think that, especially people who are following the anti-color chelation protocol, I think that there are definitely people who have seen the totally other side of it, who have chelated maybe for years um, the proper way, and they get to a point where they're taking very high doses of chelators and they're not having any symptoms. So uh, I do think that even when you get... So it's important to make this distinction, like you could get exposed to new heavy metals, but you might not necessarily move them into your nervous system, right? Mm. Um, that's something that can take time and it can take a lot of different factors. So if you've already experienced a tremendous amount of symptoms from mercury, for example, and then you chelate and you got to the other side and you feel a lot better, um, you still have new exposures that you're going to want to make sure your detox pathways are performing well, and you want to make sure that that you're careful knowing that your history. But yeah, I think, I mean, I think about this a lot with eating fish. It's sort of unavoidable. Um, there are also other detox things that I incorporate. Um, like I really like cytodetox, which is a, it's a, it's a zeolite. It's a clintepolite zeolite, but it's a very clean zeolite. Most zeolites come pre-contaminated because when they're in the earth, they're absorbing heavy metals um, and chemicals. So I really like cytodetox. And I think that especially in the gut where we're ingesting glycosphates and different chemicals that are just sometimes unavoidable, right? Um, it's good to have tools on an ongoing basis to be able to keep up with that exposure. Yeah, for sure. I think as well, it's, you, you kind of briefly mentioned it a few moments ago. It's about putting everything together, isn't it? To, to, to paint the complete picture or put the jigsaw puzzle together and not just focusing on, on one particular area. I mean, a lot of the time we, we get obsessed with the gut or, or it might be not just the gut. It might be, you're not exercising enough or it might be you're not eating the right foods or your, your mindset's not right. But really what we need to do is we need to look at the whole picture 
and put everything together in the right way. And that's why I am a firm believer of the, the functional route as well, because it's, it's getting down to the deepest level, but also putting a complete picture together. Yeah. The mind, body, spirit thing. This is something that I'm massive on. And, uh, even on the intro to the show, it's, it's, it's what we say It's um, how to meet optimally healthy and your mind, body and spirit. And you're a firm promoter of this. So this again, there could be a whole podcast and you could spend ages and ages talking about this, but how, what kind of tips would you give on each of those areas for the listeners to, to become optimally healthy in those three areas? So let's just start with the mind and then move to the body and then to the spirit. Like what would be your top tips and your top pieces of advice for, for becoming healthy in all three of those areas on all three fronts? Because I'm a firm believer of when we get healthy on all of those fronts, then we're going to be the best version of ourselves and ultimately the, the, the best human being we can possibly be. So can you just give us some tips on those three areas, please? So so the cool thing is, and this is an area that I've been recently learning more about as I've collaborated with some functional endodontists and dentists, but when we talk about mind-body, there's actually a very direct connection, and it all has to do with breathing. Now, if you talk about mind-body-spirit, there's also a direct connection there as well, because but this is going to take a little bit of a leap of faith and a little bit of an area that we haven't fully uncovered, but we're learning about, which we've known, we've known about this for a long time, but the way the face is shaped is very much um, affected by the way you're breathing, right? So if you're somebody who's breathing through your mouth, most of your life, it's going to change the shape of your jaw, but it can, and, and also if you have a tongue tie or some dysfunction with the motion, with the movement of your tongue, and you can't place your tongue in the proper posture while you're breathing, which can then lead to mouth breathing. So all of these factors can affect each other. But what's really interesting is that when you have this dysfunctional breath pattern, it can have a tremendous effect on the way the bones that form basically your cheeks uh, sit in your in your skull. And the where those bones come together, it forms a part called the cella tersica. And the cella tersica holds the pituitary gland and the pineal gland. Now, what happens when you sleep is the pituitary and pineal are like dictating the hormone cycle. Mainly the, the pineal is, is doing this pathway, you know, serotonin, melatonin. And we also think that off melatonin, we're making something called 5-MeO-DMT. Now, when you sleep and you get into the deepest levels of sleep, um, this process is very dictated by the breath. So if you're not breathing properly while you're sleeping every single night, it's going to be very hard for you to get into this full um, pathway to really be able to like dream and recover and rejuvenate. Um, there's, there's, there's a breath pattern that sort of moves with the diaphragm and it creates this recycling process with cerebral spinal fluid where the pineal gland is very delicately floating. Um, it's, it's sitting in these sutures, which may or may not be shaped dysfunctionally based on breath, and it has its own blood-brain barrier. So, you know, the, the conspiracy theorists for many years have talked about things like fluoride in the pineal gland, um, you know, and, and, and maybe that maybe there are things that can sort of accumulate and calcify the pineal gland in a sense. It might not be fluoride. It might be mercury. We're not sure. But I know when we talk about the pineal gland, there's the third eye kind of overlap, right? So when we talk about meditation, um, especially in Kundalini meditation, where you're, you're creating an eye posture where you're staring at your third eye, right? Um, 
we know that that builds those plans. We know that in the brains of monks after they were dissected, um, after meditating their whole life, that they have much larger pineal glands. And, and all of this sort of goes together, right? So, so when you talk about mind, body, spirit, now, um, when you talk about something like 5-MeO-DMT or these, these psychedelic uh, categories, which there's a lot of new research now going into, um, we're learning about people who consume them and have these experiences that they consider to be a non-dual state that they're reaching. So, you know, dual state meaning, you know, there's me and then there's the world, there's me and then there's the cup sitting next to me and non-dual meaning, you know, we're all one, right? So they're experiencing God. Yeah. They explain it. Um, so I think it's very interesting to mention all of these things without creating any controversial claims or or opinions. I just am bringing awareness to how interesting it is that we have this gland in our brain that is very much affected by breathing, which is very body, right? And then mind. And then we have something that has been referred to as the spirit molecule, which is 5-MeO-DMT, which can be accessed through the breath and can also be accessed through consuming it um, from, from nature, from an outside source, um, which is giving people this. And, and, and there's, you know, we suspect that 5-MeO-DMT is secreted when we die. We suspect that it plays a role in dreaming potentially we we know that we suspect that when you do certain types of breath work like the rebirthing breath which is which is a, a chest breath um sometimes people report having these profound spiritual experiences when they do this breath um or at the least feeling extremely tingly like they have this kind of like extra yeah. serotonin release um we suspect that 5-MeO-DMT is part of that pathway as well so it's very interesting and i think that for some people their health journey could be improved by investigating some of these things because in a sense you can have a tremendous release of what we like to think of as like subconscious tension and that can give you a lot of clarity as far as what direction you need to go in with your health yeah it makes complete sense absolutely love that and i've experienced a lot of that stuff you just said <laughs> oh, really? my- well you could probably talk about your experience right yeah yeah for sure i mean i've already um if people go to my instagram they can see me doing a a, a breathing practice to activate dmt um and i've had many uh, experiences using the breath work and manipulating breathing we've also got a whole podcast on that if if the guy's listening or yourself uh, hasn't listened to that that's episode 39 so we talked all about breathing on that one so yeah the i mean the breathing for me is one of the things that can connect everything and it's 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 so simple and it's free like this is what i try and explain to people is it, it's free you can jump in the driving seat and you can control it that's uh one of my friends lee ewan who was a who's a wim hof practitioner who came on the show on episode 39 and that's what he says he says it's like the one thing where you can either be in the passenger seat or you can be in the driving seat and you can jump in the driving seat, control the breath, and it can have a profound impact on, on all areas of your life. Uh, all those things we've mentioned that you can, you can sort your mind out with breathing, you can sort your body out, and obviously you can get into these altered states and you can go to that spiritual element if you, uh, if you wish with breathing as well. So I'm glad you mentioned that um, because it wasn't what I expected you to mention, but it's, 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 it makes complete sense. And, um, 
my last podcast I put out actually was about uh, psychedelics as well. And it was my uh, uh, experience on magic mushrooms, but that's a whole nother, <laughs> whole nother story. Yeah, I mean, I'm very, very excited that we're having this explosion of new interest and research in these things. Um, and I really, really am excited to see where it's going to go. I know a few doctors who are focusing on this 100%, um, you know, writing and experimenting. So, so yeah, I, I hope that we can uncover this pathway and really demystify it so that people are not afraid. Um, because I do believe that there is potential for tremendous health benefit for depression anxiety um and and potentially chronic illness yeah i think it's it's people have got to ultimately if, if people really want to, to to take control of their health on all fronts they've got to they've got to just want to do it and take that time to do it i mean breathing people are like, i haven't got time to meditate or i haven't got time to breathe and numerous reasons why people don't do it not just not just breathing exercise eating correctly all the all the kind of components you need, but we've just, if we really want to evolve, ascend and, and look after ourselves, we've just got to just take our time to think, right, what are we doing here? Why are we doing it? What's the desire? What's the purpose? And I think when people get clarity on that, then they can start to shift their, their views and, and dig a bit deeper and, and go down some of these routes that yourself and myself have taken and, and look after ourselves a little bit better for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned mindset and mindset is such an overused word now that everyone says mindset, mindset, mindset. What does it really mean? Well, for me, it what it means is talking to my pituitary gland and telling it to work because I think sometimes it has no reason to not be working, but, but I almost shut it down with my own fear and my own um, emotions when I get upset about not being able to do everything I want to do or having some type of limitation. And then I feel tired and I don't feel like I can work out and all of that happens. And, and it really is sometimes the difference in how, what type of connection you're having with your relationships in your life, like who's supporting you emotionally and spiritually and how you're sort of showing up for yourself. And I used to think, oh, well, like, of course I'm showing up for myself. I'm here. What do you mean? But I feel so bad. How, how am I supposed to get through it? And then you you realize that, and I learned this by working with practitioners who do like neural integration therapies and, the, and, and them explaining to me that I was having problems with my pituitary shutting down that were sort of self-imposed. And it doesn't mean that what happens isn't real because what happens is very real, but, but how did you get there? Right. And, and so when I've, when I've sort of released that within myself and then realized that I can access it through my mindset through, I mean, you want to call it pep talking or whatever. I don't like talking about positive thinking and things like that, because to me, it's just, <laughs> it doesn't get you there, but, um, but, it, but it's real. You know, you can talk to yourself before you go to bed. You can, you can, you can gear yourself up. You just have to believe that it will work. Yeah. And I think <laughs> it's also being um, aware that of, of what is your what is your true like inner inner voice and the the higher power as opposed to maybe listening to the the ego or the monkey mind and it's being able to distinguish the two and when you can get to that level where you can know the difference then you can really push on and and work on all areas of your life and and become quote unquote successful whatever that is for you or live a joyful life or whatever you're looking to do i think when you can distinguish between the that that driving force, that higher power and the, and the, 
if you want to call it the ego, then that's a big turning point. And that's something that's been happening to me very, very recently. I've started to really kind of distinguish between the two and um, trying to quieten the ego mind and the ego voice and turn the volume up on the inner voice. If, if you wouldn't yeah. get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great. Cool. Okay. Um, I think we're going to start to wrap things up in the next uh, few minutes or so, Dr. Kate, but there's a few more things I want to touch on before we, before we do wrap up. I know that obviously you've got your, your show where you interview uh, great minds in, in medicine, in health, uh, in mindset, some, a lot of these areas that we've spoken about. Out of, I mean, obviously you've interviewed many people and some big names as well. What are maybe some of the two or three big takeaways that have, have come from speaking to these guests? That, and has anything like repeatedly come up that, that's going <laughs> to um, help people and impact people? Because just so I can put this into context a little bit, my um, on my podcast, and I've just I just mentioned it about a few minutes ago. One of the things that keeps coming up constantly on my podcast is awareness and being self-aware and having that level of awareness so i just wondered if you'd had anything that that keeps coming up time and time again on your show with the guests that you've had on sure i think that and this is going to sound really broad but if i'm really being analytical about it i've had a lot of people saying things different different things that all basically mean that there's this idea that you're being true to yourself and you're being authentic. But the takeaway from that is that every single one of them is different and they were successful for a different reason. And there aren't necessarily going to be all these commonalities. And I think that everyone's looking for, you know, the right morning routine that the CEO that they think is really successful is doing um, to get where they're supposed to be. And I think that from what I've seen, they're, they're so vastly different. It's just really about figuring out who you are and what your message is and what you want to do to inspire people or to inspire yourself or, you know, whatever it is, it's going to be very unique to you. And that's amazing. And that's the same thing that we learn when we help people with their health, right? That there's bio-individual reasons for, for often the same diseases and they're totally different. And like when we were talking about the spiritual overlay to illness, um, it's different for everyone, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're all on this like unique journey and, and, I, and I would say that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah, for sure. Nice. That's another thing that has been mentioned before on, on my show as well is everyone's unique. You're all unique. You've all got your own gifts. Everyone listening to this and everyone that we interact with, on a day-to-day basis, they've all got their own uniqueness and their own superpowers, their own gifts, their own special traits. And when you start to realize that and embrace that, then you can, you can be an amazing person. Not that you are, that you're not an amazing person, but you can take it to the next level for sure. So I'm glad you, uh, you mentioned that and I'm glad that that's come up with the people you've spoken to. Awesome. Let's wrap up then. So, uh, we always finish my podcasts with the same, in the same way, should I say, um, and that's with a favorite quote. So can you just finish the show for us today, Dr. Kate, with a favorite quote? And this could be one of your own, something that inspires you, any quote just to finish and wrap up the things today. So I read this in your pre-interview questions and I immediately had, you know, stage fright about coming up with a quote. One, because I think quotes, it's so easy for them to sound cheesy and cliche. 
but nonetheless, we all have quotes that have impacted us. So I have, I'm going to go back to something that became my favorite quote when I was in third grade. I'll never forget it. I used to have it on a sticker and the quote said, and again, it's a little bit cheesy, but it said, arise, go forth and conquer. Nice. <laughs> and so that been kind of like, I guess, a mantra in my life and you can apply it to so many things. You know, you have to get up and you have to just go to it and you have to also get results. So that's my quote. It's a good one. It's, it's, sim it's similar. Go on, sorry. <laughs> I don't know who said it. If anyone knows, let me know. <laughs> it's similar to one that was always said to me by my, by my father and that's, um, he always used to say to me, dream, struggle, victory. And it's very similar. Yeah. Yes, it is. Say it again. Say it again. Dream, struggle, victory. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. There we go. Well, thank you so much for the interview and for speaking to me today, Dr. K. I really, really appreciate it. Um, you taking your time out. So thank you so much. Thank you also for spreading awareness on this topic. I know it's a little controversial, but I think that there are people out there who are going to appreciate hearing more about breast implant illness. So. Check me out on Instagram at D-R-K-A-Y-T-E. And there's links to, um, in my link tree to my website and also to the nonprofit uh, website where women can get information about breast implant illness. We have a lot of files and resources. Um, it's, it's a good place to start. And uh, go check out your show for sure because your, your interviews are brilliant and you, you get some amazing people on there as well. So go and check yes. that out for sure. Yeah, thank you. That's also there. All of the links are there. So. Nice. Brilliant. Okay. Thank you. Okay. I will speak to you soon and, and I wish you all the success for the future. You too. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. That's a wrap on another episode of the Kinetic Fitness Show. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast episode with your friends, family, and colleagues. Until next time, peace and love.